gentlemen it is time for that sports show not this sports show not any other sports show that sports show i'm jeremy the impact york welcome in this is the impact media weekly drive right through sports town we catch everything from the nfl to a little bit of college atlanta united nascar f1 the braves we really try to center it around right here in uh, the state of Georgia and some national stories as well. Obviously, as always, a lot later than we want to be in the week. It has been a crazy week, as it is a lot. I promise we'll try to be a little more regular with our schedule from here on out, but tons to get into. I just mentioned a lot of the stuff we're going to get into. And, of course, if you would like to Follow the show or leave us a question, comment, suggestion, rating, review. You know, we're still accepting food donations as long as they're good. Um, just kidding on that, guys. It, it's, it's really... We just like the ratings and reviews. We, we definitely appreciate it. Uh, you can email the show, 3endzone at gmail.com. That is the number 3, E-N-D-Z-O-N-E at gmail.com you can search for us on facebook that sports show impact media jeremy york any of those should find us if you're one of those people who likes to just click a link and listen to the show you go to twitter at team impact media we'll have nothing but the show links listed if you want to see more than the show links and potentially see some uh, fun stuff that we get into you can follow me personally at the Impact 99 on Twitter, Triller, TikTok, and Instagram. And I think I'm on LinkedIn too. We put all the links up there as well. And of course, anywhere you can find a podcast, including Podcast One, Spotify, the iTunes Store, or practically anywhere else. If there is somewhere that you regularly get a podcast that you do not see us, please let us know. We will fix that very, very shortly. Let's get right into the NFL. Let's get right into the NFL. We're going to talk a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about that Falcons game. We, we're going to talk about that one here in a second. Uh, I want to get through some of the other stuff first. Uh, Devontae Adams. I don't know if it was because he was frustrated that they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs by one point at the end because they could not execute a play. But as he was proceeding to, I think he was jogging. Let's, let's give him that. I think he was jogging to the locker room. There was a ESPN camera guy, a guy working freelance for ESPN. That, that doesn't matter. That's just an extra bit of information. Uh, and they, they happen to cross each other's paths, like uh, the camera guy's running across as as Devontae's going to the locker room. 
and Devontae shoves him, and the guy takes a pretty good tumble. And apparently this guy is now pressing criminal charges. Some sort of, um, some sort of version of assault, which pretty, pretty crazy. I don't, I'm not saying the guy shouldn't press charge. I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not saying guilty or not guilty or anything like that. Um, first off, that guy has every right to do that, to, to do that. I uh, hope he's all right. But the biggest part of this is Devontae Adams' behavior. Because this may be the most severe incident, but since leaving Green Bay, which, you know, he wanted the money he wanted out of Green Bay, and he finally gets out of Green Bay, and he gets to play with his old college quarterback, and it's not going real swimmingly, is it? not not going amazing uh, and, and I feel like he's he's acting out a little bit which which is fine it's it's what diva receivers do but uh, this, this is uncalled for you you can't you can't It's 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 the the pro wrestling rule. Let's call it what it is. The pro wrestling rule is there's a barrier there for a reason. The wrestlers may may cross the barrier, but it's to fight each other, not the crowd. And the crowd needs to respect the barrier, stay on their side of it because if they cross that barrier, they become fair game. Even in a court of law, by the way. In most courts of law. So it's the same thing here. If you're Devontae Adams, if you want to act out or lash out, I don't recommend doing it physically. But if you do so, there's opposition that you're supposed to go against. Other, you know, whether they're a camera crew, whether they are uh, the officiating crew, whether they're crowd, you know, people in the stands, I don't. I don't uh, condone that at all, to, uh, to lash out at them your frustration. And, uh, you know, I'm not wishing him harm or to be convicted of this, because, I mean, we all know he's not going to jail. He's going to end up paying a massive fine and paying this guy, probably in a lawsuit. But you've you got to be better, Devonta. You've got to be better. If You're one of the best receivers in the league. Your numbers may not show it this year. You're one of the best in the league. You know that. So act like it. Act like it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, speaking of tempers flaring, uh, Kenny Pickett and uh, was it Shaq Barrett or Shaq Lawson? Okay, anyway. So the Buffalo Bills had taken a few low shots, liberties, towards Kenny Pickett when he came in the game, towards uh, his, his lower leg region. Go back and watch them. They're intentional. I don't know if they're necessarily trying to hurt him, but they're trying to hit him low, really low. And uh, after the second one, Pickett did not did not hesitate to get in the face of uh, of Shaq. And he says he, he's not going to put up with it. And and his offensive line had his back as well. But no, it, I, I got to agree. 
I understand with all these new rules that you can't go high and then you can't, uh, you know, you try to arm tackle around the midsection and people get past you. But if you start going at a guy's knee, especially a, a, a it doesn't matter, especially a rookie, but you start going towards somebody's legs like that with intent, you're, you're right there in, in the Devontae Adams conversation of you, you have to be better than that. You have to be better than that. And if the Bills try to say that that wasn't intentional, that just happened to be what happened on those plays, then no, I, I don't believe that at all. And I don't think anybody else does. Uh, good for Kenny Pickett for being fired up and getting back in his face. Eh, don't necessarily start fights. But let them know you're not going to put up with it because maybe this was their way of testing you. It's an awful way to test somebody is to almost injure them. But he showed everybody, including the league, that don't mess with Kenny Pickett or he's coming at you. And I like it. I like that he's that fire. I, I think he's going to do some good stuff in Pittsburgh. We're going to see what he can do now that, that uh, he has taken over the reins. They have a tough, tough game against Tampa Bay this week. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, David Tepper has basically admitted that when he hired Matt Rule, he thought it was the right decision. It, it could have been at one time. It is not, as he has let Matt Rule go along with a couple offenses or a couple assistants. Now, let's, let's think about it. Matt Rule, great college quarterback. What is college about a lot? Recruiting. One thing Matt Rule could not do was, was recruit a quarterback to come to the Carolina Panthers, uh, a good enough quarterback. He had Sam Darnold. You know, he, well, he's had Cam Newton. He's had Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater was probably the best of the lot I'm about to mention because Cam is later in his career. Cam is still good. I mean, at this point, might as well bring him back. People pay to see him at least, put people in the seats. They tried to trade for Sam Darnold. And Sam got injured. There's a chance he could come back this year and, and still be pretty pretty decent. Uh, but I, I think that ship is, is almost sailing on Sam Darnold. And, and it's unfortunate because I thought he had a lot of promise and being on the Jets teams that he were, I, I think it, it damaged him. And he just didn't recover. But, you know, I hate it for Sam. Sam seems like a good guy. So they brought in Baker Mayfield thinking he can compete with Sam, and then that's when Sam got injured. Baker's dinged up as well. And even when he was healthy, it, uh, it I, don't, I don't think the answer's Baker either. I think Baker's going to probably be on a different team next year with the chance to prove what he can do. I, I think he has a chance to prove that he's a at least a, a quality starter. I don't know that he's a superstar, but, you know, Baker Mayfield can play. It just He's kind of been in some weird situations. Where you get drafted matters. Where and when you get drafted matters. Um, so, Matt Rule gets let go. He will have his pick of a lot of college jobs. He'll go back to college, he'll be a superstar because the difference, the parallels between college and pro in the coaching world doesn't matter. If you are great in college and you fail at the NFL, you just go back to college. If you are great in the pros and you fail at college, you just go back to the pros. That's what you're good at. That's the way it works. Very rare do you find somebody who's good at both, but when you do, keep them around. 
Um, Tepper, I think, he wanted to get a jump start on looking for the next head coach. At the moment, the usual suspects are, are the list he'll probably start looking at, but he's also going to hang out and see who might let go of their current head coach. I don't think he brings Ron Rivera back. Let's go ahead and put that one back. I, and I don't know that Washington's going to get rid of Rivera either. But let's see what they do in Carolina. They they need a reboot. Their defense is pretty good. They were starting to do some okay things on offense, and then it's just it's crumbling. It's falling apart. And the once strong NFC South is having issues. Like I said, you've got a crumbling Carolina. You've got New Orleans, who is imploding from the inside. You get the Falcons, who are inconsistent. If they were consistent, they would be a top contender because they it's just crazy where they're at. And I'll talk about them in a second. You've got the Brady-led Bucks that don't look amazing, but they're able to beat up on their division, and so they're leading. Um... You know, I don't think the Bucks are as strong this year as they have been in previous years. Maybe they'll probably make the playoffs, and, and maybe they make a decent run. I, I don't see them going real far. But in going to the Falcons, that Falcons-Bucks game. Let's talk about it right now. Uh, I'm going to lead with this. The Falcons got hosed. The Falcons got hosed. They had the ability, and they had the opportunity to win this football game and the officiating crew that day completely ripped that away from them with a handful of minutes to go and we'll get to that part in a second and I, I believe that and I'm not being biased you guys know the Falcons are the local team and I want them to do well they are not my favorite team I'm saying this is the host of this show if the officiating crew were sitting right across from me or right next to me right now I would say you guys totally botched that call you could not have more royally screwed that call up unless you kicked Grady Jarrett out of the game. That's the only way you could have egregiously screwed it up even more. There were times in this game, and I have it wrote on my notes here too, there are times in this game where the officiating crew started conversations with Tom Brady on the field that seemed to surprise even Tom. And within a play or two, it benefited the Buccaneers something did so NFL why don't you look into that why don't you tell me I know players and referees talk all game long but they held up plays did not allow him to snap the ball when he wanted to at certain times held up those calls ended up helping the Buccaneers I mean tell, tell me tell me how that's not on purpose that's on purpose I don't know what kind of intent they have I'm not throwing the gambling aspect in this because I don't think that's what this is I don't think the referees are involved in that. But you just tell me, is it a league objective? Did the league say, hey, make sure that they have the advantage? I, I don't, I'm, I'm going to say the league didn't say that. This, I think these were rogue officials that did that. I don't think it was the entire crew. I think it was just a couple. But the head referee was one because you have to answer for your crew. And it, that was, it was awful. And we will, we're going to talk about that play because it's, it's towards the end of the game. This game starts out uh, with, you can't even say good defense. It was just lack of offense. A punt from Tampa. A punt from Atlanta after there was a sack on third down. 
Yeah, that's not how you win a game, by the way. I'm not sure if uh, if people remember that. Uh, Tampa Bay on their second drive, they have this methodical, spread out drive, uh, and then the Atlanta defense gets the fourth down stop. They take over on downs. That was a fan. Finally, the defense wakes up. Atlanta starts playing some really good defense, which has been one of their pillars this year. This defense is not even a bend, don't break. It's a we make plays. Uh, Atlanta gets near midfield, and we go to the second quarter completely scoreless. Uh, they get near midfield. The drive kind of stalls out just a little bit, and they end up in a punt. When Tampa Bay takes over the next time, they, they start getting small chunks. Whether they're getting seven-yard runs, they're getting ten-yard passes, and they're moving themselves down the field. They get uh, the big chunk play that leads to the Fournette touchdown, seven to nothing, Tampa Bay. There was good playmaking by Atlanta on the next drive. They just quite didn't execute a couple of the times they needed to. They end up giving the ball back to Tampa. Brady really gets on a roll here. But the Falcons defense steps up, holds them to a field goal. We get 10 to nothing with a minute to go in the half. Uh, Atlanta does drive deep. Koo misses a field goal for the first time in a while. That, that, was, that was interesting. Um, I didn't go back to see if it was to snap the hold or the kick, but what matters the most is that it was a missed field goal. Uh, Tampa Bay is able to add a 44-yard field goal from Ryan field goal from Ryan Suckup at the end uh, to make it 13 to nothing going into halftime. Falcons fans, if I told you you were down to Tampa Bay 13 to nothing at halftime, are you panicking? Probably not. Do you think you're in trouble? No, nope, probably not. Do you think you're still in this game? Yes, you are, and you know that. This offense is capable of easily catching up on 13 to nothing. That's two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. Two touchdowns, you take the outright lead. So, we go to the second half. Atlanta starts with the ball. A lot of pocket awareness. That's something that usually gets thrown around in college, but Mariota has pocket awareness. That's why he doesn't get sacked very often. He doesn't get tackled in the backfield a lot. You can say his passing is suspect at times, but he keeps plays alive because he is aware of where things are around him. And his pocket awareness uh, kept a lot of plays alive when this could have been really bad. Uh, but they end up punting, even though I've just built him up like that. They end up punting. Uh, Tampa Bay gets the ball. Evans has a giant, giant catch that leads to a touchdown. 20... One to nothing because they get the two-point conversion because yeah, it's Brady's thing. Just ask Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta stalls out again. They kind of trade punts. Tampa Bay punts again. Atlanta punts. Tampa Bay punts. We go to the fourth where Atlanta punts again. Tampa Bay punts. A lot of work for the punters today. Shout out to those guys. They put in some good work. Then Atlanta starts to drive. Alameda Zacchaeus. I think I'm saying his name right. I know Zacchaeus is how you say it. He gets the touchdown. Uh, that eventually pulls him within within striking distance. 21 to 15. 
with about four minutes to go because the two-point conversion is good. They did score before that. Um, then it gets to the play. Brady is sacked by Grady Jarrett. Not Grady. Brady, yeah. Brady is sacked by Grady Jarrett. And what we're told is roughing the passer is almost always called when you tackle the quarterback and ride him to the ground. Basically, if your body weight goes on top of his and you sandwich him into the ground as you tackle him. So did that happen on this play? No. Roughing the passer can be called for other reasons. Um, if you sling someone down, if you grab them around the waist and sling them to the ground or slam them to the ground. No, that didn't happen here either. What Grady Jarrett did was go up to Tom Brady. He ended up getting, for amateur wrestling fans, back control or, or MMA fans. He gets back control. He has his hands around his waist, and he pulls him to the ground as they are spinning. Brady did not even hit the ground that hard, but they spawn a couple times. They both land on the ground. Grady Jarrett gets up to celebrate, and the flag comes out. Everybody's like, I wonder what this is about. Maybe this is holding on the offense or something like that based off where the flag is. Nope. It is roughing the passer. I nicknamed it roughing the Brady. And I'm a big Tom Brady fan. I've been a big Tom Brady fan since he was at Michigan. That's where my fandom for him starts. And he is one of the best players of all time. Well, on quarterbacks, players of all time. That's fine. But when you gift rap an opportunity like this, it's just ridiculous. The, the, the referees completely screwed this up. And here's the thing, is when you call a flag, you get a chance to huddle up, and all the other referees get to, to talk, all the other officials get to talk, and say, hey, this is what I saw, did anybody else see anything any different? And they all agreed, that's roughing the passer. That's not. That's not roughing the passer. At this point, I don't wish you to harm anybody, but hey, Grady Jarrett, next time, go ahead and ride him into the ground. Earn it. Earn it. If they're going to call ticky-tack stuff, earn it. Go ahead and just give them everything. It's, it's, it's just a joke right now, the, the officiating in the NFL. They don't know what they're doing. And part, and part of it, I will defend them in this. Part of the reason is they're not full-time employees. A couple of them are. The referees should be full-time employees. They should be taken care of medically. They should be taken care of financially to make them full-time employees. Because almost all of them have side jobs. Or not side jobs. The officiating is their side job. They have full-time jobs. They're, they're lawyers. They're business owners. They're managers. They're, yeah. And then they referee on the side. That referee, NFL, that, that's on you. Fix it. You got to fix that. But the Falcons lose, was it 21-15? Yeah, 21-15. Um, in a game they should have won. A game they had won. And the referees took it from them. Because like I said, I don't, I don't blame the NFL on this one. If they had something to do with it, great. You did a good job of hiding. The rest of us didn't see it. This was all on the referees. The only thing I didn't like was that the NFL didn't do something about it.
the NFL could have stepped in, the officiating crew in New York could have stepped in and said, I don't, I don't know about that. You could have even apologized, but you didn't. It is what it is. We'll get into my NFL picks a little later in the show. But for now, let's go to Atlanta United. Sore subject for some of you guys. Sore subject for some of you guys because um, their season ended on Sunday as they um, hosted New York City FC and dropped the game 2-1. to one. It, it seemed like there was a little bit of disorganization in this game. They, they didn't play as, as clean and crisp as they have recently. Maybe it's because they weren't playing for anything. Uh, this For the first time in Atlanta United history, they suited up and played a game on the pitch that meant absolute zero to their tenure in MLS. And I guess you could say it, it means it means something to organization to win or something like that. But this one had no playoff in implications, no standings, no it didn't didn't mean anything. It just was a game that had to be played. And you could argue it didn't have to be played. But of course we saw the wonderful bicycle kick goal from from Joseph Martinez last week. This week it's by far the unsung hero the superstar edition this year Andrew Gutman got uh, the goal in the 67th minute to uh, to cut the lead in half. It was already 2 nothing at that point. But that's the end of the season. We know that Pineda is being brought back as the head coach, as he should. I think you can't blame the entire year on him. I thought he did a, a good job. He only had the same consistent lineup about the last third of the year, and that's when we really started to see this team come alive. Um, he started the year with Joseph Martinez, who then wasn't quite over his knee injury. He had to get it cleaned up midseason. He missed some more games, and it seemed like he was never back to 100%. I don't blame Joseph for that. It's His body was banged up. But I feel like, I mean, he had Brad Guzan go out. He, he just, there was injuries everywhere to where every night it seemed like his lineup was just more or less who's available instead of what's the best, you know, where can I put my best players? Instead it was where can I put my players? Because this lineup top to bottom is fantastic. But you have a lot of people that were playing out of position because you just didn't have it. You know, when you have three wingers go out or you have two goaltenders, two goalies, then there's only so much you can do. So I, I thought I thought Pineda did a great job. You guys may have mixed emotions on it. I, I think he did a good job. But now, the questions that we're starting are at the front. 
they they're brought to the front because there's no play uh, to to backdoor them. The number one question, Joseph Martinez, will he be back next year? Well, the only people that could answer that are not speaking at the moment, or are not talking in public. They are having private meetings, and that would be uh, Carlos Bocanegra, who there are rumors that Martinez does not uh, care for all that much. That would be, I'm sure, Arthur Blankens involved. Um, so Boca Negro, maybe Arthur, obviously Martinez is there, Pineda is there. I think what it comes down to, there is there's one year left on Martinez's deal. I believe the first question that needs to be asked is to Joseph Martinez, where you say, do you want to be here? Do you want to play here next year? And you go from there. If he says, yes, I want to be here, okay. So then you continue to center the team um, with him as, as the star striker. You continue to uh, get people healthy and bring back uh, a lot of the lineup. I, I could argue uh, there are places that you can improve your roster. Um, it would not surprise me. I, I agree with Doug Robertson of the AJC. Maybe... I'll get him on the show one week, and we'll we'll go over some of this. Uh, he does such a great job of, of covering the team. Uh, definitely check out Doug Robertson from the AJC, uh, and also Southern Fried Soccer. His podcast uh, is fantastic. It's one of the best MLS podcasts around for sure in the nation. Um, but as Doug said, it, he would not be surprised if all three designated players that is designated DPs are not brought back you know there's there is that chance because uh, which ones do we have I think it's uh, Almada Arujo and Is it Ozzy Alonzo? I'm not sure if it's Alonzo or not. But either way, I think there's going to be a little bit of a roster cover. You cannot completely redo the whole thing. First of all, that's impossible to do in MLS. The only way to do that would be to fold the franchise and start a new franchise. You can't just... There, there's, there's a lot going on. You can't just flip everything. But, like I said, I think it starts with Martinez. Find out what Martinez wants to do. If he wants to be here... Great. If he does not, get some suggestions on places he wants to go. Does he want to play um, in the EPL in Europe? Does he want to play somewhere else in Europe? Does he want to play in Argentina? Does he want to, I don't know, is there Alaska League? And, um, where, where? get some ideas and do your best if he, if he wants to go to those places to do that. What a lot of people think is that if he is moved, it will be to somewhere in MLS because they need the uh, allocation money, the TAM. Not the GAM, the TAM. 
they need the TAM, and they do. They need some some roster flexibility, especially in especially in the uh, money department. So that's where it starts, and then you can worry about the uh, the DPS. You can worry about uh, then then you have to ask Brad Guzan, who has a year or so left on his contract. Hey, are you coming back? from that Achilles injury. He seems to be back in training and doing things like that. So we're thinking probably so. We know Shuttleworth, Bobby Shuttleworth. Thanks for the tenure he had there. A lot of people didn't like him. I thought he did good for when he was called upon. Uh, he retired mid-season. Uh, Raul Godinho came in and got some time. Marco Rios Novos came in and got some time. Uh, Godinho, I mean, there's a chance... He, he was on a loan, I think. I don't know. you got to see what's going on there. They may send him back or just not pick up the loan, the rest of the loan. Or, or if the loan runs out and they don't renew it, is what it is. Uh, Castanera, I feel like he was the other one that uh, was injured. And if so, from what I heard, he is actually behind Guzan as far as the rehab. He, his must have been worse. But you see if Brad's coming back. If Brad's coming back, okay. Well, then do you keep Rios Novos as the backup? Do you allocate him to Atlanta United 2 so that he gets to start and play a lot? Uh, what do you do? Because the, the Alec Can situation is basically what that is, where you're behind an incumbent starter, and uh, when you're the backup, you don't get to play, and you don't get a lot of reps in practice. So if you want to keep somebody fresh and good, you usually allocate them to uh, your your uh, second team. But there's a lot of stuff that could go on with this roster. I hope they keep Juan Jose Parada. He become one of my favorite players. He add a lot of goals. Gutman is another one. I think those guys are foundation players, especially on the back line that that you should or back and middle that uh, should be looked at. And like I said, I, I'm going to try to get some people on in the off season to break down things like Atlanta United, and uh, we'll talk some NASCAR and F1 here in a minute, and in that, and Braves, and we're going to try to get some guests on during the off seasons of those because it's an interesting time. We got spoiled, and I say we. I'm an Atlanta United fan, like you guys. We got spoiled because out of the gate, it was amazing. We were winning. We were winning big. It was exciting. We, it was constant action. We ended up winning multiple trophies, which is part of why you play sports, including an MLS Cup. And then it kind of hit a roadblock. And I don't know that they have fully recovered from that roadblock. And you could say it was coaching, you could say it was uh, personnel, you could say all kinds of things. Um, Darren Eels now being in Europe is going to hurt this team. And you have to find somebody who could do even half of what he did for the game here. And that's going to be tough. Uh, does Boker Neger stick around? Does, uh, you know, there, there's various degrees of this. But for now, let's leave you with this, Atlanta United fans. As inconsistent as this team was, they were still barely on the outside of being a playoff team. And I would argue, had they not had a lot of those injuries early on in the year, the big 
big injuries. And some of the small. Then this Atlanta United squad would have, instead of been fighting for the seventh spot, would have been fighting for the three or four spot. Possibly the two. It's I think they were that good. Now you you can't say much. You know, you, could they have been a top team? Maybe I. Here's my thing with that. Would, uh, Montreal had a great run towards the end. I, I want to applaud the effort to them. I don't think anybody would have caught Philly. And that's why I say you would have been going for the two, the three, the four, somewhere in there. Because you, you were hanging with New York City, and they're the three seed. So, I think the hope is there. I think the things are there. I've talked to a lot of you, the fans. You guys are still excited. You know, I know season ticket holders, you guys still went to, to practically every game. It's hard to go to all the games. It, it, things happen. Life happens. So I feel good about this team and where they're going, and I hope you guys do too. And like I said, the hope is that once you get everybody healthy and maybe you, I think it's the midfield, maybe you should, maybe you should work on the midfield. A little bit because uh, Sosa and Almada and Marcelino Moreno and uh, Obara, Ozzy Alonso. You have like four or five players that are the exact same players, and you need a variety and a mix to make the midfield work. So that's that's where I think the offseason should be the focus. But that's just me. And uh, like I said, Atlanta United, I, I still stand behind them. I hope you guys do too. And we stand behind our friends at BetOnline.net as we will take a break and hear a little bit more about them right now. Hi, this is Jeremy the Impact York from Strong Style, Board Check, and That Sports Show. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, including this year's opening games. BetOnline is also your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. BetOnline, where the game starts. And we're back here on That Sports Show. Thanks to our friends at BetOnline.net, where they not only have the wagering lines, you know, we have the betting lines and the odds and the over-unders. They have articles you can read that are fantastic. If you are a, if you're not much of a visual person, you are more of a, more of a auditory. That means your ears. More of a listening person. Well, they have podcasts as well. If nothing else, or if you're in a place where you cannot legally place wagers on events. Check them out at betonline.net for those articles and those podcasts, and you will just be the smartest person at the water cooler or the coffee house or your family reunion. They give you so much insight. 
you will be a smarter, more well-informed, better fan. BetOnline.net. Check them out. First part of the show, we talked some NFL, how the Falcons got hosed and some things like that. Matt Rule got fired. Talked about Atlanta United in the hope that this offseason is going to fix a few chinks in the armor that we saw. Let's get in to some Atlanta Braves talk. The Atlanta Braves, who we know won the division. They beat the New York Mets. And that slugfest, where they both won over 100 games, has uh, taken its toll on both. The Mets bowed out to the Padres in the wild card round. Padres, who are taking it to the Dodgers. Hey, go Padres, by the way. They lead that series 2-1. to one. But it seems like the Braves are a little, little, you know, running out of gas as well. As the Phillies currently lead the series 2-1. to one. Philadelphia won game one. And they won game three uh, last night. Was last night? Two nights ago. No, it was last night. Nine to one to take that lead. And the Braves, hey, the Braves put it together and they won game two. I would argue that Strider maybe should not have been the game three starter. I understand why you did that because you were like, well, here we go. Charlie Morton, Jake Odorizzi, um, Uh, do you go uh, you know Odorizzi did come in and eat up some innings in that but it, it seemed like the Phillies are the hottest team coming in and they are playing really really well do I think they're going to win the series I, no I actually don't I feel like the Braves see here's the thing Here's another thing, at least. The thing about it is, they were so mum, they were so hidden on who they were starting for game three that I just don't know if they were sure. And I, I think they were wanting to know if Strider was going to be good to go. I think he was good to go and then got in trouble early. And in a playoff game, you don't have time to let somebody work out their problems. You, you have to pull them, and he got pulled early. But this Phillies team has brought their bats. And they are they're going to have to bring it because the matchups for tonight, Charlie Morton for the Braves, former Mets great Noah Syndergaard is going for the Phillies. Syndergaard only has one inning pitched this uh, postseason. But he's done pretty good against the Braves. And Charlie Morton, when there's somebody to count on, to rely on, I think Charlie Morton may be your guy. That game is at 2.07 later today on FS1. And the Braves have got to put it together. You got to see. I mean, 
the thing that has carried them the last part of the season, besides the, the constant hitting, the great hitting by everybody else, is you've had the three-headed monster of Dansby Swanson, Matt Olson, Austin Riley, that just continue to put the ball over the fence. This series, they have not been able to do it very much. So maybe you're going to have to play some small ball. You have to figure some stuff out. You're, uh, because on the other side, I mean, Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, they, they, got some, they got some big guns over there too. You're just going to have to keep scrapping out wins. And hey, I know you look at that. You look at that matchup, and Braves fans went, "Oh man, we're facing Syndergaard. Gosh, I hope we're uh, we're putting um, our best pitcher against him." And and then we say Charlie Morton, who has uh, been up and down. But here's something about Morton. Not only are they bring him back for twenty million next year. You guys know that. He is a mentor to these young pitchers. You want to know why Spencer Strider has developed the way he had it's probably had a lot to do with charlie morton and max freed and and everybody working with him and you know why is kyle wright having the season that he is well it's because people like charlie morton are there to to show him how to be a pro and to show him things that that even a pitching coach may not hit on you know i i hear a lot of you guys that uh you're like, well, at least it's not Odorizzi. Well, Odorizzi has come in and eat up innings. He's the guy of the bullpen that is there to do that. He could make a start. He just pitched the other day, so maybe not. Uh, but I, I think you got to think that if they, they win the game today, they go to the deciding game five, that... Do you go Max Freed? Do you go Kyle Wright? I would have to consider either one of them. I mean, there's some other people you could you could uh, pull in to maybe maybe uh, get a start or do do almost a bullpen game, but you really don't want to do that in the playoffs. That's that's not the time to do that. Uh, but I feel confident. I feel confident that they they have a good opportunity to win today to even this series and I think game five would be back in Atlanta so it will be good to see that and uh, I really do wish them the best I know a lot of you guys are saying well you're a Mets fan I am a Mets fan but as I always say on this show my thing always is I'm going to come on this show and I'm going to tell you how the Atlanta teams are going to do whether they're my favorite team or not and I'm also going to always say that I cheer for my teams and I cheer for the Atlanta teams because they are the hometown teams. They're the ones I grew up watching. I don't get a chance to go see the Mets play at City Field. I go to Braves games here now in, in Truist Park. I've grown up around, around these teams. That's the, the Braves, the Falcons, the Hawks, United now. And my Mets aren't in it. And as I always say, when my teams aren't in it, I cheer for the Atlanta teams. I want the Braves to do well. If they go back-to-back, that would be incredible. What that would do for this city and Braves country, off the charts. You know, on my, my on the uh, UGA show Hunker Down here on Impact Media, we had Tug Coward on. Atlanta radio 
legend, Tug Cowardon, and, and he said it. When I asked him where his fandom started for UGA, he said, oh, it was, it was out of the womb. He said, um, you know, around these parts, a lot of times when you're born, it's go dogs, go Braves. And, and he's 1,000%. By the way, check out his podcast, Braves Country, he does. Uh, where he has on amazing guests and ask about their fanhood for the Braves. It's a fantastic show. But, this, you know, that's the way it is for, for a lot of this area. And it spreads all the way to, you know, from the Carolinas through Georgia into Florida, little Tennessee, all the way to Mississippi. And it's Braves country. It's Braves country. I, I called in to the chop shop on Monday. They had me as the guest because they needed a Mets fan. Uh, appreciate uh, Jermaine and, and Tyrus having me on. And uh, Jermaine's brother as well being on there. Fantastic to be on there and chop it up with them on Chop Shop. It's the same way. Those guys are all over. They're in Mississippi. They're, um, there's even some in New York. But they're like, yeah, you grew up. You're in the South. It's, you know Braves baseball. So I, I, I have faith in this Braves team that they're going to pull off this win later on this afternoon. Go Braves. Let's switch gears. Let's go a little into, let's go into some NASCAR, right? Let's go into some NASCAR. Where they were at the Roval in Charlotte. The Roval in Charlotte, which is Charlotte Motor Speedway, but instead of the big oval, it's the Roval. They go through the track that, that cuts through the middle. It's more of a road course. It looks fun. It looks like something I would very much want to take my actual car on because it looks a lot of fun. So let's talk about it. To start with, uh, on lap on lap number five, uh, the 45 car decided to spent got spun around. It's easy to do on this course because there's a lot of left and right turns, not just left. But uh, it caused a caution that kind of shook the field up a little bit. About half the field pitted with three laps to go in stage one. That is something a lot of them do. If you are trying to win the race and the stage points aren't going to matter much to you, then a lot of them pit early so that they can get a jump start on stage two, starting towards the top. Uh, stage one ended with Logano as the winner, followed by William Byron, Daniel Suarez, Ryan Blaney, and um, is it Alex Hendricks? Am I saying his name right? I think it's Alex. But those are all guys in the standings. Go to stage number two. On lap number 30 of 109, which is how many were in the stage, or of, of total, lap 30. Uh, the one car in the 48 both both uh, kind of get together and miss the chicane. When you do that, you have to come to a complete stop and then restart, and that is assessing the penalty. If you don't do that, they will call you into the pits to assess the other penalty. But uh, they were able to both do that. That is uh, Chastain and, and Byron, I believe, on that. Uh, Chastain, like I said, missed the chicane. He kind of did it again. 
served his penalty, no harm, no foul there. As far it just puts you behind a little bit. Then the pit stops once again with three to go in stage two. They they do the same thing because a lot of these guys, even the ones that are in the actual points championship race, the stage points. If you can get stage points, great. That means you finish in the top ten during the stage. I think it might be in the top five. I think it's top ten. But if you don't, if you if you don't think you're going to be in the top ten, then you go ahead and come in. You get a jump start on the next stage. Well, this stage ends with Ross Chastain, who did a great job of recovery after missing the chicane a couple times. He gets first. Harrison Burton finds himself in number second. It was a good run for him. Kyle Larson third. Almondinger was fourth. And Reddick was fifth. That's a good tight race going. Because a lot of times the stage winners and the stage people that place tend to have, uh, tend to be the same people. You go, oh, well, well, he finished towards the front of that one. And, he, oh, look, he's in the top five here. You, but not on a road course. You don't always see that. So we go to stage three, which is the final one. And chaos starts to happen, which is fun if you're watching. Not so fun if it happens to be the drivers you're pulling for, but it's still fun. It's one of the fun things in NASCAR is when fun things happen. And this year has been all about the fun. Lap 55, Suarez starts reporting power steering issues. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a car that lost power steering. That means you have to manually pull the wheel. It does not freely just go if you barely twist it. It becomes quite difficult. Imagine doing that over a road course going 150 miles an hour and having to shift while you're doing that. So you're using both hands to twist the wheel just as hard as you can, which is like trying to turn a crank. And you're also trying to... Um, downshift and upshift, which is down by uh, your right leg, which is where that's at. So um, the fact that he does this from lap 55 all the way to lap 109, which would be for 54 laps for half of this race, that's, that's unbelievable. I'm sure Monday morning he was as sore as ever could be, and I hope he found a cold tub or whatever to uh, help himself out. Uh, Daniel Suarez gets my... Um, Hero of the Day award for that, and we'll, we'll tell you where he finished. Um, just, just incredible what he what he did there. This incredible effort because it was not fun. You could hear him screaming out in pain and anger at times on his radio. Not fun at all, but he kept it together, and that's why he is a great racer. And Trackhouse is is doing so well. Um, not to be outdone, his teammate at track, track house, Ross Chastain, that we've talked about missing the chicane and doing penalties. We have talked about how he finished second in stage two. Well, he kind of oversteps and hits the wall and uh, has right rear stability issues. He has to kind of come in and get some things repaired. So we're actually watching the playoff standings kind of jumble up because Suarez is dropping a little bit because of his power steering issues. Ross Chastain, because he has right rear stability issues, they're having to rebuild his car. So Trackhouse is suddenly not having a good day. Um, Corey LaJoy decides to retaliate on Suarez. I don't care what he says. That's 100% what he does, which is a stupid thing to do because Suarez is having enough problems. And then he gets this jack wagon coming in to, uh, to knock him around. Thing was, is he was retaliated on something that Suarez didn't do. I hope LaJoy got some sort of fine or penalty for that because it was a joke. And, and uh, uh, he, he definitely made Suarez's day worse. 
and uh, he showed everybody that he's petty. And not the good petties in racing. He's just, he's a jack wagon. Uh, Kyle Arson breaks his back toe link where he kind of gets squirrely and goes, it pops the side of a wall. He just, he just, he under drove a corner that was a little back and forth. There was a little left and right snake chicane there and, and just missed it and tagged the wall, broke his toe link. Uh, he had to go in the pits in the pits to, to fix it and they were able to fix it and he got back on the track but while he's there he starts to drop down the standings this I mean if you're watching the standings you're like this is kind of crazy you're, you're seeing some people that were near the cut line get closer to it some other people kind of jump up and down there, there was a lot of scrambling right there near the cut line uh, there was debris on the track with five to go the debris was a cardboard sign that was normally stuck to the wall that for some reason was just in the middle of the track. Have no idea how it got it there. I never don't recall that ever happening. It's just kind of weird. I'm not saying conspiracy like some people are. It's just kind of weird. But with five laps to go, there is uh, a couple people that go to the pits. I mean, they go to go for a pit stop. One of which is Christopher Bell. Christopher Bell, who is in dead last in the, or next to last in the standings. Alex Bowman was out because um, he had a uh, concussion, I believe, and wasn't cleared. So he didn't even, he didn't race the last couple races. He was out. The only way Christopher Bell is going to make it into the next round is if he wins this race. Because he is so many points down below the cut line that... He, he would seriously either need everybody to stop racing and he passed two-thirds of them or he's got to win the race. So he comes in and gets fresh tires with like, this was this was like 20 to go. And he starts flying through the field. Absolutely flying. And there is, let's say, it, that did some people move out of his way? Maybe. Cole Custer got accused of it and there was a big fine and an indefinite suspension for his crew chief and the team got fined. I think they got dock points. I, I don't think it matters because he's out of everything. Um, here's the thing. Do racers help other racers in certain situations? Of course. You just don't, whether you're going to do it on purpose or not or even joke about it, you don't say it on your radio because not only is NASCAR listening to radio, so are the fans. And what if the rival fan listens to it and then they turn around and report it? This happens in golf all the time, which I think is ridiculous, where somebody will be watching a TV broadcast, see a golfer do or not do something on a hole, they call it in, the golfer gets eight holes down the, the tournament and gets told, oh yeah, back uh, eight holes ago, we're penalizing you for doing this. And he's like, wait a minute, you didn't penalize me when it happened because I asked you if I could do it, and you said yes. So, I don't know how it got reported. I tend to think NASCAR overheard it. Or uh, heard it, rather, because they're listening to the radio. But either way, that's, that's, for, that's for the Stuart Haas guys to figure out. And for Cole Custer and his team. A definite suspension, though. He'll be reinstated, but uh, that's kind of harsh. But that's NASCAR's way of saying, stop doing this. And they're not going to stop helping each other. But they're just not going to be as public about it. That's, that's the whole thing. Just don't be, don't tell people. But anyway, 
I think Christopher Bell would have passed people even without that because it was only one little spot. Christopher Bell starts getting towards the front. Kevin Harvick is leading the race. Another Stuart Haas guy. And then with five to go is, uh, is when that debris is on track, which allows Christopher Bell to immediately catch Kevin Harvick because that's what you do during a caution. Then there's a wreck off the restart, and there is contact everywhere. And then they get started again, and Chase Elliott, who was leading, who was, I don't know who he was leading at the time, he was doing really well. Uh, shout out to, shout out to Dawsonville, by the way. I spent a good chunk of my Sunday in Dawsonville last, last Sunday, and uh, had a fantastic time. Uh, shout out to Chase Elliott, Bill Elliott, and uh, all your, your Dawsonville uh, friends over there because uh, I had a fantastic time. That is a beautiful city. I want to go back when I have more time and uh, appreciate the hospitality, and so did uh, all the friends and family I was with. Just want, just want to shout that out. Uh, but Elliott gets spun out. No caution. Not a lot of cautions on a road course when they get spun out because most of the time they get, get, get back going before anybody catches them. Then there's more contact, uh, all with uh, three laps to go. Then Ty Dillon spins out, which starts the uh, the overtime. It was a caution, and then the overtime restart. I'm telling you, this was chaos. There's so many, so many things going on. Uh, and then Bell. Is able to edge Kevin Harvick. He passed him with, uh, I think he passed him on the first lap, and then led the the second lap of, of the OT for the win. And uh, what a spectacular win for Christopher Bell! I still reiterate, part of why Kyle Busch is moving to RCR next year is because the development of Christopher Bell into a potential top tier racer. I think he's right there in the, in the top of the mid right now. He could be a top racer and if he's going to do that it kind of between him and Ty Gibbs and some others in the pipeline at um, at Gibbs Racing then at Joe Gibbs Racing then it's at some point you had to move on from Kyle anyway whether he left on his own or whether you uh, moved on and it just it's unfortunate but that's what happened good for Christopher Bell we will get to what this means here in a minute um, one of the things they did, they had to stop towards the end of the race because they had to repair. They completely red flagged it. They had to repair some curbing that had completely eroded and fell all over the track. As I'm the first time I've ever seen that. They had to actually repair it, come out there and fix it and just repair it enough so they could continue to race because there's a lot of, of uh, traffic on the curbing during these road courses. Uh, but that that had to do with um, that involved six cars that after the restart there there was just chaos. Uh, yeah, I had it here. Bell had the lead with uh, one and a half laps to go. He held off Kevin Harvick, who just didn't have the tires to catch Christopher Bell. He had the fresher tires. Remember, Bell did. But it finishes Christopher Bell, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch. Great, great finish there. AJ Allmendinger. And 
Justin Haley. Good for Justin Haley, by the way. Good for Justin Haley. And A.J. Allmendinger, even though he didn't get any points for it, he led 24 laps of this race and did a spectacular job. Christopher Bell led two laps of this race, the last two, the ones that ultimately led to his victory. So let's get to the standings. We know Christopher Bell is going to move on. Here are the eight that did move on. Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Ross Chastain, Christopher Bell, William Byron, Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamlin, and Chase Briscoe. In looking at it, you see a couple teammates in there in Christopher Bell and Denny Hamlin, in William Byron and Chase Elliott. Uh, the four drivers that were eliminated, Kyle Larson, who had problems and was in the pit for a while and finally got back on track, but ended up just on the other side of the cut line. Daniel Suarez, who, like I said, gets hero of the day for his efforts. Um, Austin Sendrick. And, uh, and Bowman. And I talked about Bowman because of... Uh, not being cleared to race. He, he was just unfortunate and did not make it in. Now, those are the way they will start as well, where Chase Elliott is number one. He has a 20-point lead over Joey Logano, who has a 5-point lead over Ross Chastain, who has a 3-point lead over Christopher Bell. Three points below them are William Byron and Ryan Blaney. Two points below them are is Denny Hamlin, and four points below Denny Hamlin is Chase Briscoe. The tracks in the round of eight. Las Vegas, that they are at this week. They will be at Miami, otherwise known as Homestead. And they will be at Martinsville. I tell you right now, given those three, look for Denny Hamlin to not be in the bottom four. Those are three that he is extremely extremely good at and I actually think Ryan Blaney is going to finish high enough to get himself up as well I'm not sure that Byron or Briscoe they're going to have to step up some things and have some things go right or I believe they will be eliminated here's how I think the final four is going to shake out you're going to get one or two of the following racers Chase Elliott, Joey Logano Denny Hamlin you're going to get one or two of them for the sake of what we're doing, let's say you get two. I think it could be Denny, who will win a race, and probably Joey. So I, I, Chase Elliott is strong enough to win. I just feel like something weird and goofy is going to happen. Not on purpose, just spins out the wrong side. I, I don't know, something. So let's say that Joey and Denny make it. That would leave two other spots open. The way Christopher Bell is racing right now, you, you would have to consider him. Uh, Ross Chastain is hanging in there, but he's had some problems recently. So, as much as I like Ross, I'm going to drop him out of that as well. So, that would leave. The four that I would pick as of right now, I would say Joey Logano, Christopher Bell, Denny Hamlin, and Ryan Blaney. Those are the four I would pick as of right now.
they are in Las Vegas, as I said. Uh, that is a fun track. That race is going to be uh, this Sunday at 2.30 on NBC. The defending champion is Denny Hamlin. You guys realize why I say things like that? Uh, not to be outdone, William Byron is the, the Miami defending champion, and Alex Bowman. Okay, he won't race on that one for Martinsville, but Las Vegas. Las Vegas is usually kind to people like Kyle Busch, who lives there, and Denny Amlin, and, and Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott has, has done pretty good, but that is a 2.30 NBC start on that one. NASCAR has been spectacular this year. Let's talk some F1, and we'll get into the picks. F1 raced in Japan last weekend, and oh boy, oh boy, we thought it rained in Singapore. Uh, Japan found out how much it rained in Singapore and said, hold our Sapporo. Good choice, by the way. Hold our Sapporo. Uh, Carlos Sainz, immediately into the into the race on lap number one, he spins it out, hits the wall, he is out. He's the first car out. Carlos Sainz, one of the top four racers this year, completely out. Uh, Sebastian Vettel, he spun out. He was able to save it and get back into the race. Uh, Gasly almost hit a crane on track. It, it was so wet. They all started on wet tires about two laps in. People started coming in, and and uh, including the Williams guys that I'll get to in a minute, and swapping out to the intermediates because uh, it was wet in certain places, and then when it was drying out, oh man, it they were hydroplaning, and then when they were not hydroplaning, they were skidding and sliding all over the place because it was drying out on those wet tires. It's, I don't know that you need wet tires. I think you should uh, just go with intermediates and just be done with it because these did not help at all. But uh, Gasly, once they had to stop the race because it was raining so much. Gasly was very visibly upset and angry that that he had uh, that he almost hit a crane because eight years ago there was a racer who did that. There was a crane that was way too close. Somebody had skidded off the track and hit it, and he unfortunately lost his life. Uh, I agree with Gasly. There's no reason at all. Why wow, that crane should have been anywhere near the racetrack. And uh, that's something F1's got to figure out. And I know what you guys are saying. Why is there a crane anyway? Well, there's a crane because... There's a crane truck. There's a crane, though, because when racers wreck, they pick the cars up and tow them out of the way with those cranes. Uh, the restart was delayed again. We actually had a medical car. I knew there was a, a safety car, but I didn't know there was a medical car. And the medical car was running through the course, I think checking out all the turns and twists and things like that. And uh, that I thought that was pretty cool. I'd, I'd never seen the medical car. It'd be fun to drive that one because nobody was on track when they were doing it for the most part. Um, 41 total race minutes is all we got out of the two hours. It's, it's a maximum of two hours. You guys know that. We got 41 total in we'll get into how that played into it because well do you get half points do you get three quarter points do you get full points what happens well we'll get into that uh there was a lot of early pits like i said to swap from the wets to the intermediates 
at which time Verstappen was in the lead. Max was doing uh, Max things. Charles Leclerc was in second. Sergio Perez third. Uh, Alex Ocon in fourth. And Lewis Hamilton in fifth. It was also Vettel, Alonso, Russell, Latifi, and Norris. That was your top ten as uh, they kind of got going. Um, we get all the way to the end. Max Verstappen wins the race. And they say, well, he didn't win the championship yet because Charles Leclerc finished second. And that is going to keep it open for another week because also, or, or because there's, there's just, you know, he's up, I think he's up like 109 points with like 112 possible that were left. So there was a chance that like if he completely, if he completely just, finishes so low or Leclerc beats him like almost every race from here on out then it would be really really close and then we find out that there is a five second penalty on Leclerc for trying or for advancing or too fast during a, a safety lap or I, I can't remember what uh, it sounds made up to me that it because it was almost immediate normally it takes a little while after the race you find out later after the race that uh, they've decided to penalize him, but they did this. So now it also becomes too. It's it's something that that even Max was saying. They're like, yeah, you won the championship, and he's like, I, I don't think I did. I think I'm still a couple of points short because uh, we should only get half or three quarter points. We only got half or three quarter. We didn't get full points. And then F1, I think they they did something dirty. They did a disservice here. F1 says, no, 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 it's it's full points, Max Verstappen. You are the winner. He finds out why he's in the cool-down room. He's sitting in this giant throne of a chair anyway, which is kind of crazy. But um, he finds out that, no, no, you did win the points championship. And here's where F1 did him dirty. He should know outright from the time he finishes the race that he is that he wins the championship. And I know you couldn't do it on this one because of that, but uh, you should have almost delayed it a week because he, he couldn't immediately celebrate. He, he couldn't almost enjoy it because it was so far into the post-race that he, he finds it out. And he, he's going to try, but, you know, he just, just didn't work out. It, it, congrats to Max. He by far, He's on a magical run. But F1, you, you did him a disservice, man. You, you did him a disservice that he should have gotten the opportunity to celebrate fully and not be dampered by the, the crazy controversy and the, the just not knowing until the very, very end. But congratulations, Max, for stopping. Uh, the way that they finished because of the penalty, of course, You get you get Max Verstappen, you get Sergio Perez, Charles Leclerc in third because of the penalty. Uh, Esteban Ocon for Alpine, good good finish for him in fourth. Uh, Lewis Hamilton in fifth. Sebastian Vettel in sixth. He loves this track. Alpine also had Fernando Alonso, who finished in the top in the top ten with a seventh 
there. Mercedes driver George Russell in eighth. Nicholas Latifi for Williams. This is, I believe, the first time Williams is getting points all year, and they get the two points from Nicholas Latifi, who was one of the first in the pits to swap off those wet tires to the intermediate. Great job, Nikki. And Lando Norris rounds out the top ten. Fantastic race. Uh, the Japanese course looked really, really cool. I, I liked it. Um, you know, if if we had infinite funds and uh, and and time and everything, then I, I, Japan would be one so far that I, I I may have liked a lot of them. I would I would very much like to see that that course. It looks very cool. Singapore as well. They all look really cool. Uh, the next time F1 races will be the Aramco United States Grand Prix in Texas. That will be next weekend. They are off this weekend. They will be next weekend in Texas. That should be a lot of fun. Should be a lot of fun. Let's get to the picks real quick and then we'll get out of here for we'll get out of here for the uh, for the week. Our picks, I'm going to start with college from last week. I told you to take number 8 Tennessee over number 25 LSU. 40 to 13 volunteer victory there told you to take number one Alabama over Texas A&M. I said it's going to be close. Uh, I may flip to the other side if it was not at Alabama, but it was. Took Alabama 24-20, victory there. Told you to take number 23 Mississippi State over the previously ranked Arkansas Razorbacks. Mississippi State with a big win. Want to hear those cowbells, everybody. 40-17. to Told you to take Texas on the road over Oklahoma. 49 to nothing, Texas. Told you to take number 14, NC State, over those Seminoles of FSU. NC State, Wolfpack wins 19-17. to 17. I went 5-0 and in my college picks. Let's go to the NFL picks. Didn't do quite as well. Told you to take Green Bay and London over the Giants. Well, the Giants hung on to win that one 27-22. Don't look now. The Giants are 4-1. and one. That's not something I saw. Doing it with weird quarterback play. Um, told you to take the I told you to take the Atlanta Falcons over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Twenty-one to fifteen, Tampa wins that one. I already talked about that. Told you to take the Chargers over the Browns. Thirty to twenty-eight, Chargers hang on to that one. Told you to take Dallas over the Rams. The Rams are not shell shocked or something. I don't know. Uh, Dallas wins 22-10 to 10 under Cooper Rush. I told you to take Baltimore at home over Cincinnati. 19-17. to 17, Classic Harbaugh play there. I went 3-2 and two on the NFL picks. Games for today. Now this show will probably post after the 12 o'clock games. But I assure you, we recorded it before them. I know nothing of them. Uh, number 10, Penn State is visiting number 5, Michigan. That is a 12 p.m. Fox game. Take the Michigan Wolverines. Not because I'm a Wolverines fan, but take them because they're going to win this game. It's in the big house, and I think that has a lot to do with it. If this was at Penn State, let's have a different conversation. Uh, it's going to be a close battle. Penn State's going to bring it. There's going to be some interesting... Um, Interesting play. You're going to see some disruption. They're going to both get after each other's quarterback. So 
uh, but take the Michigan Wolverines. Number three, Alabama is visiting number six, Tennessee. Give me Rocky Top. Tennessee is going to knock off Alabama and or Georgia or both. They're going to knock off at least one this year. There is an outside scenario where where Tennessee and let's see where is where Tennessee and potentially Mississippi State could actually play in the SEC title game. I'm not it's it's out there. It's it's but it's it could happen. It could happen. But Uh, where was it? Oh, but take Rocky Top to win that one. 3.30 on CBS. Number 13, TCU is going to host number 8, Oklahoma State. Those Cowboys seem to win despite me not picking them a lot of weeks. Well, I'm picking the Horn Frogs again this week. I think TCU wins at home. 3.30 on ABC. Number 16, Mississippi State. A little foreshadowing here. Against number 22, Kentucky. That is a 7.30 SEC Network game. Shout out to Mississippi State fans. I've got some in-laws over that way. And uh, also some, some uh, people I run into my everyday. Shout out to Mississippi State. And that one. And I take the Mississippi State Bulldogs to beat the Wildcats. Doggies over the kitties. And lastly, you guys know, I like to pick uh, a late game. So that when you get done watching all the rest of the games, there is one you can still kind of cruise into that will get you into your Sunday. Air Force at UNLV. They're both 4-2 and two and having spectacular years. That is a 10:30 CBS Sports Network game. Take Air Force. Air Force. Shout out to the Air Force Academy. Give me Air Force over UNLV. On the NFL. On Sunday Night Football, 820 NBC, we're going to get the Dallas Cowboys at the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a battle for NFC supremacy. The Eagles are the best team in the NFC, but Dallas has been hanging around with their backup quarterback and doing a fantastic job. Give me the Dallas Cowboys. Maybe I'm a little biased. Maybe I'm not. Give me the Dallas Cowboys on, on Sunday Night Football. I do I don't quite know how, and I'm going to say that again a little bit later on. In fact, on the next game. But they're going to find a weird way to win. They're just going to somehow find a way to win. Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night. San Francisco Giants are going to be here in Atlanta. 1 o'clock Fox game to take on the Falcons. I think these teams are a lot more similar than people think. I think uh, they lack the offensive scoring, not the firepower, the offensive scoring that you would consider they should have. But give me the Atlanta Falcons to, once again, not sure how, but they are going to hang on and beat Kyle Shanahan in one of these games that are going to be like 17-14 or 18-16, um, some weird random Kyle Shanahan score. Give me the Falcons. Minnesota at Miami, 1 o'clock Fox game there. Good news for Miami. They found out that... Um, Let's see, which backup quarterback do they have? They have 
Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy B. Teddy Ball again. He's cleared to play. He's going to be the backup to Skylar Thompson on Sunday for this game. They also received news that as of this morning, Tua Tonga-Vailoa. He has been cleared from the concussion protocol. He is a precautionary. They're not going to play him this week. That is 100% the right call. And uh, he is going to return next Sunday night against the Steelers. So good news on the Miami front. Skylar Thompson has looked uh, pretty good. I, I give it to him. Skylar's doing pretty good. I'm glad he's getting the start today. Teddy Ball game back as the backup. That is going to help as well. And uh, Tua coming back. Uh, Miami, things are looking up and up again. Uh, but I'm going to take the Minnesota Vikings because Skylar Thompson's playing with his backup being Bridgewater. If this was Tua versus Kirk Cousins, I would consider taking Miami. I just think Minnesota is going to win this one 20-17, something like that. 425 on CBS, you're going to see the Kansas City Chiefs host the Buffalo Bills. I think the Chiefs have the Bills number. I just for some reason, the Bills are the best team probably in the league. They're the best team in the AFC by far. I think Kansas City's going to find a way to beat them. So give me Kansas City on the 425 feature game. And then lastly, 1 o'clock CBS, Cincinnati at New Orleans. These are two teams that are at an influx and trying to hang on to their seasons. Give me the Cincinnati Bengals to find a way to win this one. Actually, you know what? I'm going to swap it right now. I just I just had a, a little bit of an epiphany. Give me the New Orleans Saints at home because not only are they at home, but they've got Will Lutz as their kicker. I think he is going to win this ball game for them. They are starting Andy Dalton again this week, and I think the Red Rifle is going to be on fire. So... Give me New Orleans. So to recap, take Michigan at home over Penn State. Take Tennessee at home over Alabama. The Horned Frogs of TCU, take them at home over Oklahoma State. Take Mississippi State on the road over Kentucky. Take Air Force on the road over UNLV. Remember, I went 5-0 in college last year, last week. I'm just saying, I do pretty good in college. I do, uh, I do 60 or 70% in pros. In the pros, take Dallas on the road on Sunday night over the Eagles. Those NFC East battles are fantastic. Take Atlanta at home over San Francisco. Take Minnesota on the road in Miami. Take Kansas City at home over Buffalo. And I, as I just changed my pick, take the Saints at home over Cincinnati. That is all we have for this week. I thought it was going to be a short show. We are probably close to an hour and a half. I hope you guys tune into all of this and enjoy it. But I'm Jeremy the Impact York. Thanks for tuning in to that sports show. We will see you guys next week. Deuces, gooses.